concern are the future. And I would say this, I am excited about the future. When I see the students that were standing and I, I know what many of them want to do with their lives, I am, I'm very excited for the future of First Christian Church of Clinton and for the kingdom. I think that this generation of students are going to do things that my generation hasn't done, that many of our generations have not done. There is a fire, there is an intensity, and I'm just really excited to see what's going to happen in the lives of these young people. Big days ahead at FCC. I want to put this up on the screen because a lot is happening. Baccalaureate tonight, one service Sunday next week at 9.30. Signs and songs will be performing. June 1, Melanie Cheatham is working her magic once again. Class at Kids will be sharing during the service. It's going to be a great day two weeks from today. June 8, three weeks from today, Cody Monkman's ordination is going to take place at 9.30 a.m., and I hope you will come and, and, and make it a priority to be here. Also that day, I don't have it on the screen, but Ernie Harvey is going to be back, and he's going to be preaching that morning. So spread the word. He's going to be speaking during the ordination. We're excited to have Ernie back with us. And then Vacation Bible School starts three weeks from tomorrow. And some of you VBS people, you have that look of horror on your, your face right now. It's always a great week here when hundreds of students from throughout our community come. Uh, I, I can't believe it's just three weeks away, but it is going to be a blessing. Here's where we're at sermon series-wise. The sermon series uh, for May is entitled Money Matters. Two weeks ago, I believe the children are the future. Last week, we looked at the top 10 teachings about financial stewardship. Next week, right on the money. But today, uh, the sermon on the amount. The sermon on the amount. And for the next two weeks, we're going to be in the sermon on the mount in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is the middle chapter of Jesus' most famous three-chapter sermon, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And in the middle of chapter 6, there is some great teaching on the subject of stewardship. And so we're not going to try to cram it all into just one message. We're going to kind of have part one today, part two next week. So let's get right into God's Word, Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 19. Here's what the Word of the Lord says. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break up and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And the message today is five parts. I want to talk to you about the problem. I want to talk to you about the solution. I want to talk about some misconceptions. Some of you right now, you're saying, man, three sermons in a row on money and stewardship? You've got some misconceptions in your mind. I want to address those. I want to issue a challenge. And then I want to end with a visual illustration of what this passage is all about, in my humble opinion. So let's get right after it. The problem, here's the problem. Earthly treasure is a powerful force. Earthly treasure is a powerful force. Right now, because you're sitting by people hopefully that you like, I want you to discuss with them. I'm going to give you 30 seconds, 40 seconds at the most. Why is earthly treasure a powerful force? Ready? Get set. Go. 
Why is earthly treasure a powerful force? Earthly treasure, a powerful force. I hear some mumbling. That's good. Okay, someone in a big, booming Greg Taylor voice, tell me, why is earthly treasure a powerful force? It's where your heart is. You always want more. You never can be satisfied. We've made it powerful, probably, yeah. What'd you say, Caleb? Yeah, we can see it now and we want it. That's right. Last week in the message, if you missed it, two words were challenged to be added to your vocabulary. Remember what they were? Enough and content. We struggle, I struggle in America 2014 with having enough and with being content what I'm blessed with. Earthly treasure is a powerful, powerful force. And here's how it's a powerful force. Earthly treasure blinds us to the sin of greed. It blinds us to the sin of greed. In all of my years serving as a minister, pastor, whatever term you want to use, many times people have come to me. Some, some, some of you have come to me, and you have confessed a struggle in your life, a sin in your life. And, and again, that's confidential. It's never going to show up in a sermon. And, and I'm not asking to do that, but I think sometimes it's helpful to talk with someone about a struggle with sin. But in all of those years, 23 years, I have never one time had someone sit down with me and say, Minister, Pastor, I really struggle with the sin of greed. I've never had that happen, ever. Why is that, do you think? Why is it that no one's ever come and said, is it because no one struggles with the sin of greed? I don't think so. See, if you're committing adultery, you know you're committing adultery. It's right there sometimes for everybody to see. And it, it can be very public, it can be very ugly. If you're struggling with other sins that, that are more pronounced, it's out there for everybody to see. But the sin of greed is always somebody else's problem. It's never my problem. It's never your problem. And that's why Jesus is so passionate, not just in this passage of Scripture. In Luke chapter 12, he says, watch out! Exclamation point. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. He realizes that greed can blind us to the spiritual situation of our heart. As I was reading that passage of Scripture, did verses 22 and 23 kind of seem out of place? Many of the commentators, when, when they've talked about this chunk of Scripture here, it really goes all the way to, to verse 34. Many of them have said that maybe this doesn't seem to jive with verses 19 to 21 and then verse 24 and then when you get into 25 and don't worry and seek first the kingdom. I think Jesus knew exactly what he was doing because he realized for some of us we have a problem with our eyes. Not, not the, eye, the eye problem that I have that requires eyeglasses, but the way we spiritually look at things. And if we suffer from the, the problem of greed, I'm going to call it the sin of greed, it can color every aspect of our life. 
And if we're not careful, it's got a hold of us. And it's got a death grip on us. And we start making crazy decisions. Um, I can't believe I'm sharing this as a sermon illustration because I never thought the TV show Cops would ever make it into a sermon. But one day, I was home in the afternoon, I'm not really sure why, and I was getting ready for my favorite show, Matlock, to come on at 2 o'clock, and there was a Cops episode. Anybody seen the show Cops? And on this episode, a lot of people watch Cops, all right. Bad boys, bad boys, yeah, you know, okay, you know what I'm saying. And, And on this episode, they had a sting operation for people that were shoplifting at a grocery store. And it was a mother and her son, and they had this little get-up, and in this one episode, they'd stolen a cake, a $10 cake. Anybody see that episode, by the way? It was just a couple weeks ago. Good episode, wasn't it? Yeah. Anyway, they grabbed the lady, and they discovered that she has like $150 in her purse. And they said, we're just trying to wrap our brains around that. Why would you do it? And she said, I don't know. I just thought I could have my cake, and I thought she was going to say eat it too. But she said, I can have my cake and keep my money as well. That, that's the sin of greed. This was someone that didn't have a lot, but was being overrun by the problem of greed. It was causing big problems in her life. In 1635, anybody alive in 1635? In 1635, the first congregational church of Boston issued church discipline against one of their members, a man by the name of Robert Kane. He was a businessman in Boston during this time. And his sin, his crime, was that the business that he had was selling its goods at a 6% profit. Now, I don't think there's really anything wrong with that, except for the fact that the first congregational church of Boston had decided that no upstanding Christian could charge more than a 4% profit. How would you feel that if in 2014 in Clinton, Illinois, we said the businesses can only have a 4% profit? Would would that be a good idea or a bad idea? Some of you are saying, that sounds like communism. That sounds like socialism. What's wrong with those crazy people from the 1600s? Well, here's the deal. The first congregational church of Boston decided that the problem of greed was so serious that they were going to be proactive to make sure that none of the members of their church was ever guilty of wanting more and more and more. I'm not saying we should do that. I'm saying greed is a huge issue. Here's why it's a huge issue. Because for so many, earthly treasure promises significance and security. It promises significance and security. We have, unfortunately, as a world, and I think especially as a country... We have propped up the really successful people financially as the most successful people. And the people that struggle, the the people that don't have, the people that are poor, we have, as a society, in many ways, looked down upon them. And we've said, boy, I'm glad I'm not like that. Sounds a lot like the Pharisees that I read about in the gospel accounts. And so we have to be careful that we don't fall trapped to the sin of greed. Well, here's the solution. I've got the perfect solution for you this morning. Let's invest in heaven, not in earth. Invest in heaven, not in earth. C.S. Lewis said, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. But aim at earth and you get neither. And so I tell you today that earthly treasure is a bad investment. Earthly treasure is a bad investment. And maybe you're thinking, man, he's lost it. 
he is off his rocker. How can I not be passionate about earthly investment? I, ha- I have to make sure that I have money for retirement. Yeah, yeah, I don't disagree with that. But if your primary focus is to earn and to keep and to grow more and more earthly treasure, if that's goal number one, you'll never really get what Jesus is talking about here in the Sermon on the Mountain. You'll never really understand why Jim Elliot, the martyred missionary of yesterday, said he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. See, heavenly investments, my friends, they are a sure thing. And I was just, I, I was reflecting this week. I, I've, I've known about this church before I served at this church uh, prior to coming here, I was at Lincoln Christian College as director of admissions for seven years, and I met many of the, the high school students that were coming through this ministry through that role. And I just started thinking, you know, what heavenly investments has First Christian Church of Clinton made the last 15 to 20 years that are paying dividends today for the kingdom? And, and I thought about a, a guy that many of you will know by the name of Jim Turney. Jim's one of the Timothys of our church, and for the last year and a half has been out in Connecticut, um, with the Colonial Point Christian Church. This was a church that was in crisis, only about 10 years old, um, had some major issues unfold over a couple-year period of time. They were talking about walking away from their building and closing down, and Jim and his wife and his kids moved there. Uh, it'd be two years ago this fall, and they've doubled in attendance since Jim's been there. And there's this renewed enthusiasm in the North Hartford, Connecticut area. I mean, Jim is getting it done for the kingdom And a reason why that is happening is because this church has said to students for generations, go to Bible college and we'll help you go. We'll give you scholarship money. We're not going to pay it all. We're not going to pay most of it, but we will help you. Many of the students that were on the screen today are going to Bible colleges this fall. And I praise the Lord in Thanksgiving that First Christian Church of Clinton for for years now has said, we want to partner with you in that. What about Carson Cheatham? Carson Cheatham is the worship minister of one of the four independent Christian churches in Rhode Island, and he's going to be with us in the next month. We're going to hear from him on a Sunday morning. We're going to hear stories of what God is doing in maybe the most unchurched state in the union. That's a heavenly investment that First Christian Church of Clinton has made. What can I say about Wade Lowry? Wade Lowry has uh, passed away a couple years ago in in a very sad way, uh, unfortunately, serving the Lord in just incredible, incredible capacity at Ozark Christian College, doing great things for the Lord. He died doing what he loved, being a dorm dad. Can I tell you, I would hate being a dorm dad, but he embraced that. He loved that. He, He rallied around the students. His funeral was one of my favorite services that's ever taken place at this church. What an impact he made. What about our own Cody Monkman? You know, when I came here, Cody was a junior high kid that had all the answers, that, you know, was, was one of those kids. And, and look at him today, getting it done for the kingdom. What about Ethan Kuntz? Do you know that name? Ethan Kuntz graduated a couple years ago, the new worship minister at Mount Zion Christian Church just down the road, serving the Lord with passion and priority. But let's just don't even talk about the Bible college kids. What about someone like Lindsey Herzog Moody? Do you know that name? Grew up in this church, went through the children's ministry, went through the youth ministry. Now she's leading the Moms and Tots program 
You heard about that a couple weeks ago, along with her husband Chris and along with Gage and Rachel Lyons leading FCA. I went over to FCA not too long ago. They had like 65 students here on a Wednesday night. 65 students on a Wednesday night talking about Jesus. These are heavenly investments that are a sure thing. They are making a difference for the kingdom. Invest in heaven not in earth. Well, I want to take a time out from the message right now, and I want to talk about some stewardship misconceptions, because there are some misconceptions out there. Anytime the preacher starts talking stewardship, the temptation is to take the baby and throw it out with the bathwater. Just over extreme, over the top. Here's what you need to understand. Jesus is not saying in this passage of Scripture that you cannot earn a living. He's not saying that. Jesus is not saying that you cannot have things, that you cannot have stuff. Jesus isn't saying that we all have to sell our houses and and move into one kind of tiny apartment and experience communal living. That's not what he's saying. Jesus is not saying that it's wrong to have treasure and talent. Praise the Lord if you have talent. Praise the Lord if God has blessed you with treasure. That is a blessing. He's saying use it. But he's not saying that it's a problem. See, stewardship is not just about balancing the budget or paying dues or starting a a fundraising program. That's not what stewardship is about. Stewardship is not about telling someone how much they have to give to the church or how much they have to give to the kingdom or how much they have to give to the Lord. The title of the sermon today is the Sermon on the Amount. And some of you may have come this morning a little nervous, wondering if I was going to tell you how much you have to give. I'm not going to do that because Jesus didn't do that. Now, I would say the tithe, it's a great starting place. If you're not tithing, I challenge you to trust God in that. But I think Jesus is intentionally vague in terms of an actual amount because he wants it to be a meditation of your heart. He wants you to be driven to be a whole life steward. And so my challenge this morning is this. Break the power of earthly treasure by embracing the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, this isn't a sermon about money. This is a sermon about Jesus. This is a sermon about saying Jesus is not only my Savior, we want Him to be our Savior, but Jesus is Lord of my life. And if you are going to become free from the power of earthly treasure, you're going to have to do it intentionally. So let me ask you, are you free from the power of earthly treasure? What do you think? Take this simple test. How do you view rich people and how do you treat poor people? Take that test right now in your mind. How do you view rich people and how do you treat poor people? I think for many people, You look at rich people and you say, it's just not fair. They got a lot more than I have. And then you start saying, well, how did they get all that? How did they get a house like that? How did they get a car like that? How did they get an income like that? And before long, you're looking down upon them because they have more than you. Can you look at a rich person and love them in the Lord, even though they've got a lot more than you have? And how do you treat poor people? I think for many people, we're all for the food pantry. We're all for grab-and-go. We're all for helping people in need. But if we were really being honest, there's a little bit of us that gets really judgmental when we start talking about poor people. 
and we start saying things in our, in our mind and maybe our heart, hopefully not in our mouth, but maybe some of us do, like, well, maybe they're getting what they deserve. Well, maybe if they just quit smoking, everything would be okay. Well, maybe they just get off their, their tail and get to work, everything would be okay. And before long, we're looking down on them. We're judging them. I share this with you today because you need to understand something. If you're planning to go to heaven, I hope you're planning to go to heaven. There's going to be rich people in heaven. And I believe there's going to be a whole lot of poor people in heaven. And the focus is not going to be how much they have or how much they don't have. The focus is going to be Jesus. See, I dream of a day when the sanctuary is full. And I see people that own businesses sitting next to people on food stamps, brothers and sisters in Christ. And when there's a fellowship time, I mean, Samuel's got to basically say, stop shaking hands, stop, enough already, because we love one another in Christ so much. Number two, have you embraced the values and the call of Jesus Christ? It's easy to say that intellectually, but is it in your heart? Jesus is saying really here, one thing matters. It's one thing. Jesus told two parables in three verses, which is almost impossible when you think about it, because some of Jesus' parables are like 30 verses. But in Matthew chapter 13, two parables. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and he bought it. It's all about one thing. How many of you watch City Slickers? One of the greatest movies ever made. Remember, was it Curly? Is that right? Curly. One thing. And that one thing is Jesus. See, when Jesus is Lord of your life, stewardship becomes easy. You say, what? Yeah. When Jesus is Lord of your life, houses and cars and clothes and banking accounts take a back seat to fulfilling his mandate on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there is your heart. I'm really excited to be able to end my sermon in a very unique way. We are going to show you a video, and then when the video is done, we are going to show you your future. Let's check this out.